turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. There is no wasted motion in God's plans. And while these Jewish boys at this point in time had no clue of where they were going to fit in, they had not experienced any supernatural abilities up until this time. Daniel eventually understands, I think, that he can interpret dreams in a way that nobody else can. And they experience the grace and power and majesty of God through their deliverance. And certainly uh, Nebuchadnezzar gets a glimpse of the real God. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues in his teaching series from the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. So the message today is entitled, Looking Back and Looking Ahead as We Catch Our Breath, because it's been quite a journey through the book of Daniel. Uh, We are looking forward to understand how we live as Christians In our time of exiles, the series is all about living in exile as exiles, and that's exactly what we are. And so today we're going to just do a flyover of Daniel chapters 1 through 12. Uh, It's my task to review so that we can turn this corner in terms of prophecy, understanding the place of the Jewish people in the future, understanding our place in the here and now. And and as I was looking at this and thinking through this and looking at Daniel, right, because he lived for over 70 years in exile. Today, the average person lives 4,000 weeks. You you always think about 80 years or something like that or 76 years or whatever it is, 4,000 weeks. So I started looking at that. I'm at 3,220 right now. Some of you are a lot closer to that 4,000 number than I am. Some of us will cross over it. Some of us will fall short of it. But as we look into Daniel, I want to ask you to think about what are you going to do with the rest of your time here? 
Because God has raised you up, as we've said time and time again, as he did with Daniel for such a time as this. And I want you to think about the time that you have left and what you're going to do with it. Will you squander it? Well, how will you utilize it? And so, as we continue this study in Daniel, I'd like you to have that kind of in the forefront of your mind. I'd like you to keep it there, uh, because we want to look really at three things. Uh, as we, we want to keep three things in mind as we work our way through the book of Daniel and this overview today. And I just... The first thing we want to really keep in mind is where we've been so far in chapters 1 through 8 and really what we've learned. Because, you know, we study the Bible, we study theology to apply it. And one of the things I think we've learned is that God is sovereign and that's not an abstract theory, some highfalutin concept, but a beautiful and stark reality, as we see in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I want to sort of walk back through that with you now. We'll be looking at blocks of Scripture as we do this flyover, okay? So Daniel 1, 1 through 7 uh, really describes a disaster that seemed to occur with Israel. Judah, in particular, Jerusalem, where they are defeated in war, overrun by an enemy. Even the temple is looted. The king is taken away. Daniel chapter 1, 1 through 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The Lord gave. You know, it reminds me of Proverbs, right? Uh, the Lord takes the, the king's heart is like a stream of water and he turns it whichever way he wants to. You know, the lot falls in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. We see that what this king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, is going to do is basically he's going to be an instrument in God's hands, one for punishment of a disobedient people and two for the preservation of them. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people to Israel, both the ro- of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to, to serve the king, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. None of this is by accident, and that's what we've been learning, Right? The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king sort of like an interview, uh, a graduation exam. And among these, and among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah And the chief eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Mesach. And Azariah he called Abednego. So what you see here on the surface is these four youths are tragically kidnapped. And yet highly placed in the king's court. And as we've read and seen and as we've gained understanding and meaning of the sovereignty of God... 
There are no accidents in God's economy. I think we've answered so far along the way, why do bad things happen to good people? Because God causes all things to work together for good. And even what seems bad, God intends for good. Consider Daniel and his three friends. I mean, you know they were righteous before God. I mean, God is punishing Judah and its king. But what about these guys? And you know, they weren't the only righteous ones either. But what God is doing is he's placing them in strategic positions for the preservation of his people and for the preparation one day of the Messiah's triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. All this is part of God's redemptive plan. And his sovereignty governs everything. Now imagine how these young teens felt. They probably thought, we're away from family, we're we're in a faraway land, we're being forced to learn a culture and a language that's foreign to our own. They're trying to make us worship a foreign God. What's this all about? And what this is all about, as we've understood, is a larger picture, a larger redemptive picture. And the context is certainly is one of judgment, because the Jewish people sinned greatly against God and served their king. But it's also one of provision because these young men who have no clue of where they fit into God's larger redemptive plan right now, they feel like they've been swept downstream by a river. They are where God wants them to be. And we see that hinted at in verse 2. And the Lord gave. And the Lord gave the king of the Davidic line and articles from the temple into the hands of a pagan king. And he moved these hostages into a position and a place where they could exercise maximum influence in the king's court. Unknown to them. They didn't know. Providentially, among the best of those carried off were these four Jewish boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, all from the tribe of Judah. This is at once an act of judgment against the people of God who are in rebellion and at once an act of mercy and grace. God describes the Jewish people at this time in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah 36, 30, actually 36, 31, as those who would not hear, those who would not listen. And this de- deportation is part of this whole plan. God's plans are good. God does nothing randomly. And we see in chapter 2, they are elevated to prominence. They come to the attention of King Nebuchadnezzar because he has this dream. And nobody can interpret it for him. And Daniel can not only interpret the dream for him, but he can tell him what the dream was without being told. And this is, again, positioning Daniel. Daniel is greatly elevated, as are his friends. Why? Because one day God is going to bring the Jewish people back to Jerusalem 70 years, it says in Jeremiah. And these men are going to be placed to facilitate that. And so I think what we learn by way of application in Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2 is this, is that there is no wasted motion in God's plans. And while these Jewish boys at this point in time had no clue of where they were going to fit in, they had not experienced any supernatural abilities up until this time. Daniel eventually understands, I think, that he can interpret dreams in a way that nobody else can. And they experience the grace and power and majesty of God through their deliverance. And certainly uh, Nebuchadnezzar gets a glimpse of the real God. 
But what you have to understand is this, where you are right now, you may be, the world may be swirling around you like a torrent. You may be being swept downstream like a river. You may feel like you can barely keep your head above water, but understand this, God is in the midst of it all. All things really, really do work together for good. There is no such thing as chance, right? Proverbs, the lot falls in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Your boss, you know, the king turns, the Lord turns the king's heart in whatever direction he will. Everything that happens in your life is purposeful, intentional. And the question is, what will you do with your 4,000 or your, the rest of your 30-something hundred weeks? And so... What we have to understand is you've got to trust God even when life hurts. You've got to find peace and comfort in the reality of what you see here in the text of Scripture. That in the midst of this national tragedy, in the midst of this seeming loss of identity, these boys are being subjected to this and, 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 and sort of they're trying to brainwash them into a new culture, that God is there in the midst of that storm. It reminds me of Joseph's plight, right, in the book of Genesis where Joseph is sold into slavery, eventually ends up in prison, he eventually ends up the prime minister of Egypt. And those who had put him in prison, those who had thrown him in the hole, sold him into slavery, he says to them, as to you, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result, to keep many people alive as they are today. God is there. God has placed you where you are to serve him as he has placed them where they are. We are exiles. We are just passing through. We are not of this world. God has put his hands upon us. He has saved us. He has pulled us out of the morass in which we were in and placed us where we are to serve him. And the question is, will we? Will we represent him well? Will we be used by God to introduce others to him as, in effect, Daniel was with Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. Moving along into chapter 3, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is exposed to God. This, you know, Daniel interprets the dream for him, tells him his dream, interprets the dream for him, and Nebuchadnezzar just bows down to Daniel because he's shocked, and he talks about Daniel's God being the God of the gods, and there's no other God like him. But we see, like most sinners most pagans you know when things go wrong for them they're sorry but when things go well for them they forget and in chapter three we see nebuchadnezzar remembers everything but has learned nothing and so he builds this idol the statue to himself this tribute to himself and he commands the entire nation all the leaders to pray to him in that statue and those three Jewish boys, we don't know where Daniel is, maybe he's away at the time, refuse to pray. And, and they're brought to him, and he threatens to throw them into the fiery furnace. And they said, you know, O king, you know, we respect you, but we will not worship you or your gods no matter what happens to us. And even if our God doesn't deliver us, we are, we're willing to die. So this king, who's already gotten a hint of this God, has them thrown into the fiery furnace and they are not burned. They are preserved. They come out unscathed, unsinged because they trust God. They trust God. And so God spares them 
But the point is, even if God hadn't spared them, he's trustworthy. They would, they would have been an example to Nebuchadnezzar. It's not like every story has a happy ending. This one does. That's great. But they didn't know what was going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. But you do know this. We have to be faithful. God is sovereign. Everything that is happening around us is purposeful. Now, our reaction to it may be sinful. In this case, their reaction was not. But we have to remember, like they did, to resolve to worship God with our lips and our lives no matter what the outcome or the cost might be because you are exiles passing through. And you are to be, as Christians today, God followers, Christ followers, salt and light. So God intervenes. He shows his matchless grace to them. Nebuchadnezzar is astounded We get a glimpse of the Son of Man there because there's somebody in the fire with them. Nebuchadnezzar has another brush with the Almighty, this prideful pagan genius of a king. But despite all this, the king is apparently a slow learner as we learn in Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream and he knows by now that Daniel can interpret dreams and he brings in all of his wise men to interpret the dream and they can't and Daniel comes in and he's relieved and the dream basically is a warning to King Nebuchadnezzar because of his pride. You know, apparently Nebuchadnezzar has been conducting himself in a way that is particularly an offense to a holy God. And so he has this dream about a tree being cut down and for seven periods of time pass over it and everything else. And and Daniel comes and interprets the dream. And in in, uh, Daniel 4, verses 24 and 25, uh, we, we get this interpretation. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You will be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you till you know, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. God is sovereign, and, and, he's, and the king should know that by now. And that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is not an everlasting kingdom. It's just a temporary kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar's life is fleeting, and he needs to be doing something else with that life. And we see Nebuchadnezzar a year later, and he's walking through the great city that he's built, Babylon the Great, Presumably, he's had probably uh, 12 months of sleepless nights after this terrible interpretation that Daniel has given him. And he's walking around, and now maybe he's feeling safe because the hammer hasn't fallen. And he scoffs at the prophecy. Is this not Babylon the Great, which I have built with my own hands? And it says immediately, a voice fell on him from heaven and and said, basically, now is the time of your judgment. And Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind and he becomes like an ox and he eats the grass and he lives like an animal. And he learns a very hard lesson. But in that lesson is grace. And we see in Daniel 4.34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is Nebuchadnezzar writing, 
I lifted my eyes to heaven. So basically he looks up to God in repentance. And my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can stay his hand or say to him what you have done. He's basically acknowledging that God is God, that God is king, and that God does what God wills and that he's nothing. He wakes up out of this psychotic state. He finds himself with claws like an eagle and hair growing out like feathers and covered by the dew of heaven, and he repents. Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. So he bounces back. God gives him forgiveness. God restores him. And look what he says in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all of his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And he's talking about himself, that what God did to him was right, that what God did to him was perfect, glorious. And he's thankful, basically, that God humbles the the proud and exalts the humble, and that's what has happened here. This account, this historical fact is a cautionary tale of God's sovereignty over his creation and the affairs of men. That somebody like Nebuchadnezzar is not too big a fish to fry for God. You know, we had this whole thing years ago with the whole banking failure the first time. And they said, these things are too big to fail. Nobody is too big to be humbled. And no one is too small as so as to escape God's sight. Not even four Jewish boys who need his protection. God humbles this proud, proud king. His motive is love. His ways are pure. His goal is redemption. And with Daniel chapter 4, you see this great king humbled. And you also see Daniel's interaction, which we didn't cover so much in this overview, with the king as a master class in humility of speaking truth to power. We learn a lot from the book of Daniel. In chapter 5, we fast forward to another act of pride and arrogance. This is after Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has moved from the earthly stage, you might say. And his descendant, Belshazzar, is ruling now. And he has this feast in which he, for whatever reason, he goes and gets these articles taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, and he commits them to the gods of wood and the gods of gold and the gods of silver. And they have this idolatrous, blasphemous feast And in the midst of it, he sees a a disembodied hand writing on the wall. And he's terrified. And his wise men can't tell him what this means. And so he ends up summoning Daniel. And whereas God showed grace to Nebuchadnezzar, God does not show grace to Belshazzar. And he tells him, you know, you've been weighed and found wanting. Your kingdom's going to be taken from you. And uh, he dies that night. He's killed that night. But Daniel is preserved. 
Daniel, we're going to see, lives through regime change after regime change because God has a purpose for Daniel and Daniel goes with that purpose. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. He doesn't say, why me? I want to go home. Daniel is where God has placed him and he goes with God's, with God's mighty hand. And he rules and he serves under Darius the Mede and under Cyrus of Persia. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.